Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. In 2020, the U.S. government was tasked with sending $290 billion out in stimulus checks. This year, we're doing it again, but with smaller checks for families. That could change with the third round of checks that's currently being talked about. The second round of stimulus checks roughly corresponded time-wise with the issuance of tax season refund checks. Last year, the average tax refund check was $2,471. This money is expected to be a financial boost for families who are struggling, as well as an injection of cash into the economy, which is much needed. How to best spend that money is a question that taxpayers have year-round, but especially now. To talk about this, I've invited Tanya Brown. Tanya is a CFP and financial coach at Saver Life, an organization dedicated to helping low-income Americans become better savers. Tanya is also a veteran of the U.S. Army, and her favorite assignment was teaching cadets how to navigate through a grenade assault course, which I'm totally going to have to ask about later. She is passionate about educating, equipping, and empowering people to confidently make financial decisions. So Tanya, thanks so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. So for a lot of families, these checks are a lifeline. And former IRS Commissioner John Koskinen used to say that this was just the tax uh, refund check, not even including the stimulus check, was the biggest check that some people would get all year. And so with this in mind and also understanding that folks who might not be getting, who are not used to getting refund checks may also be getting those stimulus checks for the first time, how can folks prioritize spending or saving those checks? Like, where where do you start? That is a fabulous question. But one thing I want to go back to, to me, for a lot of low income people, it is the difference between being homeless and having home. It is that lifeline to paying rent, especially from last year. Mm-hmm. So despite everything you people are still behind in bills and rent. So this is helping that person to catch up. So this tax season more than anything else is truly that lifeline for a lot of people. So right. when it comes to the checks, I always tell people the priority is first for those that are behind catching up. So I say number one is to catch up on any existing bills that you're behind on. From there, it's prioritizing. It's taking a look at what are some current and what are some future needs. Current needs, particularly for those of us that feel like we're on a roller coaster ride with our kids. There's just, I love my kids. But they are like tapeworms. So even <laughs> of one day they're digital, one day they're at home, the extra cost, if there's an extra cost of food, mm-hmm. there is an extra cost of just for some people having to increase their services. So the unpredictability of what's going to happen with our kids may have extra cost. Our light bill went up, like all of our expenses went up. So keeping that in mind as we navigate what this world looks like for our kids, Also, there's still a lot of uncertainty. So with that being said, you know, our strong, a lot of our strong suggestions is to start looking at just plain savings. And 
to consider savings kind of like a life insurance for the unexpected. And I think when people see it as I'm insuring against if the unexpected happens, it will not financially kick my butt. So if you look at it that way, it's prioritizing for the unexpected. If you are confident that your job is going to remain the same, that you're not going to take a cut in pay, then it's maybe from that point, taking a look at, do you have any high interest debt, like credit cards that you may want to take care of? And then to take care of some of those those things. So those, those are kind of where I would tell people to start off with. Right. And one of the things you said early on, you said catching up. You and I had briefly discussed before the call, I, you know, I, I did not grow up with money. I paid for my education with a combination of loans and working. And I still felt like I was always trying to catch up. When you have bills in front of you, so let's say you have $1,000 worth of bills and you have a $600 check, right? How do you prioritize how to catch up first? Knowing that maybe another check is coming, but how do you I mean, I've I found in my, so I handle a lot of folks um, who have tax problems. And usually when they have tax problems, there are other financial problems. And, you know, usually they address the loudest, right? So who's mm-hmm. calling the most, who's banging on the door. But do you have some advice for kind of looking at the catching up part and saying, which makes the most sense to pay off now if I can't pay it all? Absolutely. And typically the one that's banging on a door is typically the one I don't recommend paying first. So that's kind oh. of <laughs> Because to me, I call it, the focus is what I call the quad of stability. That is food, that is shelter, especially now with COVID, that is medical care. So you got the food, shelter, transportation, and medical care. Mm-hmm. Those are your priorities. So normally it's the credit cards that are barking the loudest and those can wait. Okay. You need a roof over your head. You need to have lights turned on. You need to be able to have transportation to get to the job that is going to help pay for all of this, particularly in this COVID, even if it's catastrophic, some level of insurance or money set aside for some type of medical care, and you need to be able to put food on a table. So if you only have $600 out of a thousand, then that's where the priority is. With that being said, I encourage communications and just, and I have been there where I've had you know, thousands of dollars in expenses and half the money to pay for it. The key is communication. So from the beginning, I've communicated with my creditors to say the money. Now, of course, they wanted it. And I'm like, I can't give you what I don't have. Right. So even if you can give a portion, it's to kind of show a statement. It's almost like a statement of faith that mm-hmm. I can't pay the, all of this, but I can pay this amount. Can you work with me? And this is something, yeah, this is something I tell my tax clients too. Like they'll come to me and they'll say, but I can't pay the IRS $20,000. And I say, but can you pay them a hundred? Like you have to, you have to start digging yourself out of the hole. Yes, exactly. So you have to start somewhere. One thing I would encourage is for them to ask the customer service person, Hey, this is my situation. Can you help me? If they say no, then ask for the hardship department. Because a lot of times that customer service either will not give you the information or they're unaware, particularly now, of the amount of hardship out there for those that are struggling. Contact their supervisor, ask, especially if it's COVID-related. You know, I took a 20-day cut due to, you know, obviously everything that's going on. Can you work with me and seek out those programs for assistance while you're trying to catch up and get back on track? 
I didn't, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of uh, hardship programs. Is that something at like national companies or is, is yeah. that? Um, yes. And unfortunately I know this because I've lived this. So okay. Glad to share my hardship. So if you are struggling, unable to pay your creditors, your, your debtors, your, and typically this is credit cards. I've seen it with car payments. There is actually a department, hardship department, and their job is to help work out some way for you to be able to make to make a payment arrangement. A lot of times people do not know they exist. A lot of times customer service people do not share this information. So you're going to have your own advocate and specifically ask for this department. Be clear that you cannot afford to make this payment or this is all you can afford. And I tell people lowball the number because sometimes I'll hear people, I'll see people's finances and like, I can afford 200. I'm like, yeah, well, your budget that I'm looking at is telling me you can only afford 25. Right. Gotcha. So what if, you know, you you are able to pay off those bills and you have a little bit extra? How do you get started on the savings part? Because I, this is something I struggled with for a really long time. Again, I, I mentioned I'm still paying off my student loans. I did not come from a family that had extra money to give me. So when you're in a situation where You've not grown up in an environment where you learned how to save. How do you learn how to save and, and how do you figure out what to put away? Because I know it's, you know, you hear the financial gurus say, you know, always take 10% out of every check or, you know, whatever number they come up with. And it can be really dispiriting when you get a thousand dollar check, but you only have maybe $10 to put away. It feels like it's not even worth it. So how do you get started and kind of what should your mindset be about savings? consistency over perfection. So it is consistency that wins the day. So any amount, if you can put $10 in, well, that's $10 you didn't have. And it multiplies. They have babies the longer you do this. You're right. <laughs> so it's start somewhere. And I actually encourage people to start low because it's the consistent habit of savings that win over time, not these big dollars you drop in and then pull out. Mm-hmm. Also, and the consistency is accepting that there's going to be some errors. So just to confess, I'm the financial person that was a hot mess. <laughs> it's my own finances. And I remember the first time I really did a budget. And keep in mind, I had kids. I left out childcare. So you can only imagine what that did to my mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a mess. But Crazy I see expensive. Yes. <laughs> but I stuck with it. So we had, so we had paid off probably close to 150000 in debt. Wow. And but we didn't pay it off in huge chunks. It was five and ten dollar decisions that got us there. Mm-hmm. It was a little thing. So we started off with like ten dollars in savings, and sometimes it would be zero. Sometimes it'll be five. Sometimes it'll be a dollar. But over time, it went from five dollars, and then the more we started creating a spending pool, catch those items that were killing our budget that we really weren't aware of. Like I find when people do a spending plan, it's all about bills and they forget the money they spend is more than bills. There's gas, there's food, there's eating out. There, if they're a giver, there's gifting. There's, so there's these outliers that cripple their budget. Mm-hmm. The longer you have a spending plan, the more you're able to catch that. And then you realistically know what you have to put in savings. Why I tell people start off low. So if $10 is all you can do, then that's fantastic. The goal is, to consistently put something away every month throughout the year, even if it's only a little bit. And where do you put it? My guidance is for a lot of people, here's it. 
you put it where your discipline is. If you are disciplined, then it's simply opening up a savings account and putting it in there where you currently bank. If you find yourself dipping in and out that account, then just then just put boundaries around that and open up a savings account someplace else. Websites like Bankrate, um, NerdWallet, The Balance all have places that if you put in savings, um, you can find programs or savings uh, savings accounts for people who do not have a lot of money to put in there. Because sometimes people tell me, well, the balance that I need to put in there is really high. There are programs that will help you even if you have a little bit. Mm-hmm. Local banks are great. Credit unions are great. So there are places you can go even with a little bit of money to start. But, and then the key is you do not have transfers. You make You put boundaries around your savings if you don't trust yourself. So make it a little bit tough for you to access that money. Oh, I I love that advice because I will say early on, that was probably my downfall was being able to easily transfer money Mm -hmm. from checking to savings because you would look at it and you're like, you know what? I only have $100 in checking. I'll just transfer the money over from savings instead of saying no to the decision, uh, you know, to spend. So I actually think that that that's fabulous advice. It's the same thing I actually tell my business owners with respect to putting aside money for taxes is that you should put it somewhere where you don't have access to it. So you don't feel the need to, you know, use it to pay the phone bill when it's really meant to pay for taxes or it's really meant to pay something else. Yep. And one thing we did do, so, so you know, I, I was working as a partner with my husband as an as a option in the middle. This may sound a little bit weird. I actually hid the savings account from showing up on our online app. And it was amazing how out of sight, out of mind. That little thing also made a difference. Oh, that's awesome. So when you said something about your husband, it actually made me think. Um, I recently had Megan uh, Gorman on and she was talking about HSAs. And one of the things she said was she encourages women to set them up more more so necessarily than than men because she finds that women often find themselves in financial predicaments, often because of things you mentioned before, childcare, maybe not working because you're staying home with children, maybe you're a caretaker for someone else. But also because women live longer and they tend to earn less. Do you suggest to women that they are a little more aggressive with savings or do you have the same advice no matter whether you're a man or a woman? Do do you change your advice depending on who you are? A little bit, yes. Because if they are female, again, not to stereotype, Right. More than likely, they're going to outlive their husbands. More than likely, they're going to have to take a break in the workplace to care for children. More than likely, they're the person that is going to take a pay cut or even a demotion in order to be available for their kids. I think collectively, most people can agree the hardest hit person last year were working women. Yes. I, you know, luckily, I can work from home. I I just I have the utmost respect for women who had to go into the marketplace and still have to figure out how to deal with their kids. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, they're going to have to the extra steps um, to make sure they, for instance, fully funnel their account because they stand the chance of living longer. They stand the chance of having those breaks in their care, either for their children or as they become an as they get older, taking care of an elderly relative. Right. And that is, that's something we've also addressed on the show, this whole idea that you could be taking care of both at the same time too, which is both not only emotionally taxing, but takes a lot of your time, which means it takes away from your ability to earn. So those things are, I think, really closely related. And the emotional toll. So I am in that sandwich generation. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I, you know, now, so I'm, I'm heading close to 50 and it's interesting because the conversation shifted from our kids. It's like, we almost talk about our parents the way we talk about our kids. Like, yes. Now I have to make sure my parents are telling me the truth when they go to their doctor's appointments because they won't tell me what the results are. Now I have to check behind them. So you have, and I had kids late in life. So now I have the the tweens and teens on one end and trying to deal with all their social media mess in their lives. And then the parents on the other end and you do feel in between. And I have had to make adjustments in my career so I can take care of both. And and that actually raises a really interesting um, problem that I see a lot with taxpayers, um, and it actually does relate directly to tax refund checks, which is that people who have access to resources, especially in communities where people who are surrounding them may not, so maybe you're the only person on your block who got the refund check, you know, they often get asked to help. Right. So, and you mentioned that I think a little earlier when you talk about gifting, but since you mentioned parents, it reminded me they're asked to help out. So, you know, the neighbors, they know that maybe the neighbors are your cousins or, or maybe they're good friends. And, you know, your mom knows that you're getting your tax check. And a lot of people start asking for money. And I find that that puts a lot of people in problem uh, situations. I actually represented a taxpayer some while ago, it was actually really, it was a sad case. It was a woman who was well into her 70s who had co-signed for a grandchild's student loan. The grandchild defaulted mm-hmm. and she was also taking care of several other grandchildren by giving them money and they all kept promising they'd pay it back. So when she would get a check, she would, because she was on social security, but she would, um, having drained most of her other income, she would hand it out. And with the expectation that it would come back and, and it didn't. So how do you how do you say no or how do you prioritize yourself over your family when you are in situations where again, maybe you're getting a tax check and you know the again average refund check is close to twenty five hundred dollars. That feels like a whole lot of money, especially when the people around you don't have any. And and how do you say, no, this is for me? It's interesting you mention that because I have been a financial coach for nearly 20 years. And I found that this came up so often that when I would talk about retirement planning and I would do webinars on it or teach about it, I had to include a section on adulting your children Mm -hmm. because what I found was killing people's retirement was financially supporting children and grandchildren who were not being functioning adults. So it was, how do we help you adult your children so you now have money to save for retirement? That came up quite a bit. I'm also first-generation American. My dad's Guyanese. So depending on the culture, giving is a part of the culture. So I don't take people's culture. I just ask them to put boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. So the way I normally present it to people is that also famous oxygen mask on the airplane, how you're asked to put on your own oxygen mask and then put on the oxygen mask of the child. And I tell them, if you are not financially secure, you are not going to be able to give. And if you are, you're going to get into a season where you cannot, and it will almost always be where they need the money the most. Right. The thing is you have to have your own finances secured. And then second, I actually have them, the spending plan, put a giving category in there and they put money in that category. I'm like, if there's no money in there, you're not giving. So that way I can put boundaries because I can talk to I'm blue in the face, but I can't change behavior, but I can put boundaries around it to protect them from themselves. 
I also tell people that sometimes if they're open to hearing this, sometimes the best gift you can give someone is life experience and letting them experience the fall so they can grow. I grew more from the mistakes I made than I did from the time someone bailed me out. Right. Um, That's great advice. But yeah. So when, and one of the things that when you were talking about giving, which I love that idea of having like a separate giving set up with your spending plan so that you know, you know, I'm going to give $500 all year for gifts. And then when it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's smart, but kind of a corollary to that. And actually, I've discussed this with a couple of folks on the program. And since you brought up culturally uh, that there are differences, you know, how do you also keep your finances private? Because one of the things, and it's funny, because I know um, if Eric, who had talked to me about, we had talked about this before, was on the program, he would probably yell at me and tell me, no, we should be more transparent. But like when everybody on the block knows that you're getting $2,500, that's when they come at you, right? Because that's when they, they, everybody mm-hmm. needs something. If you were to stay within those boundaries, do you think that there's value in keeping things private? Or is that just something from culture to culture, because I, I do find that when people know that there's money coming, they ask more. And, and, I, and I've seen this with my clients where they'll say, you know, my girlfriend knew I was getting a $5,000 refund check. So she needed the money. But you know, the girlfriend didn't ask the month before. She asked when the money was coming. Do you, do you tell people to try to keep that quiet? Or do you, is it something you don't talk about at all? Because it just, it doesn't come up? Or, or how do you handle because in some cultures, and, and I come from uh, the, the rural South, you know, in a lot of families, everybody knows everything. Like you sneeze, they know. They know how much money you're making. <laughs> they know when your checks are coming. Do you try to put a stop to that or you just work around it? I think it's learning how to train people. And that was like one of the things with my husband and I getting out of debt. It was training people in conversations that we don't have money for this. Okay. They know the money is coming, but yes, but we had to train people for it. Just it was this kind of similar that we don't have money to eat out, that we don't have money for vacations because we were intense in paying off our debt. So what I learned is you kind of got to start training your family that dollar bills coming in does not mean dollar bills coming out, and you're going to have to accept that it's not going to be well received because I think it's just not. Not everyone is going to understand. Some people have this philosophy that you give until you bleed, and I am not a big believer in that. So it's training your family that you, and being honest. So a lot of times I also find when I've had these conversations, they, their families think they're well, they tell them their families, some people do not know how financially insecure they are. And I I get how they don't want to tell them that, but it's saying, you know, my finances aren't quite the way you think this money is needed to help us, you know, catch up or to basically catch up. But it's being honest that you're not as financially stable as people think you are. Mm-hmm. To some degree, it's standing up to other people and letting them know that you want to put boundaries about around this. And I sometimes when I have the dialogue, I will actually role play. I'll be like, okay, I'm playing your sister and I am asking you for money. How are you going to handle this conversation? Right. Role, role playing with them so they can get used to the dialogue, but making sure they know this is not going to be well received. That is okay. It does not make them a bad person. It makes them someone who's prioritizing the important, like their personal finances. So in the long run, they can be there for other people. 
Right. No, that's great advice. And and again, I th- I think it's actually the hardest advice, you mm-hmm. know, to to have those conversations. So when you're getting this check, let's assume that the sister doesn't come ask uh, <laughs> you for a piece of it. You've caught up. You're putting some money away for savings. You, we've discussed that you should go, uh, you know, consider a local savings account or, or somewhere where you won't touch it. How do you then make it consistent? Because obviously, if you're getting an infusion of cash right now, we're hoping for a third set of stimulus checks for a lot of taxpayers. But but if that doesn't come, you know, how do you decide, how do you make that, you were joking about it's growing, but how do you make it grow faster? That's when the consistency comes in. So what I encourage people to do is to choose an amount they know they can put in. And I say there is no amount that's too small. And they commit that every pay period, they put a small amount in. Now, physically, it helps to increase the amount, but mentally, it trains them to think of savings first. Mm-hmm. And that's the main part. So it's not the dollar amount that's important. It's the fact that you're training this person. If you're working with someone, if you are that person, you're training yourself mentally to start thinking of savings. So if you start to put in that $5, I'm confident it will grow to 10, it will grow to 20, it will grow to 100. So it's the consistency of a dollar, of, I don't care how small it is, every pay period going in. And since you're a financial planner, one of the things that's interesting to me is when I started practicing, I started practicing law in a um, very high net worth community in New Jersey. And then I moved to Philadelphia where I was practicing. And what was interesting to me is that while I had same some of the same kind of clients, I also started getting more middle-class clients that needed tax and estate planning. And then when I would go to look for someone to help them, because I didn't do the financial planning part, so maybe someone inherited some money, they didn't know where to go because there were so many, there weren't a lot of qualified financial coaches or financial planners or, or investment advisors that were willing to help somebody that only had a little bit of money. So, you know, some of these minimums were easily, if you don't have a half a million dollars in investable assets, you know, please go elsewhere, right? And I get that because that's their niche. But if I'm the person that has been saving, like you've said, and I've been putting it away, and and now I'm up to 10,000, how do I find somebody that can help me know what to do next? Because now maybe I'm not struggling but I still don't know what to do. Do I just keep putting the $10 in or maybe maybe it's time for me to take a bigger step? How do I find somebody to help me? Because again, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of asking for help, but they want to ask for help. But it is it is weird to, and again, I was a professional dealing with people who had what I would consider, you know, when someone gives you a quarter of a million dollars, that's a lot of money. And to have a door shut in your face and say, that's not something I'm interested in helping you with. I think is very dispiriting. So I can imagine at a lower income level, it's even harder. Like how does someone who has been doing all the things you've told them to do and they've, they've, they've been building up some savings and they would now like to consider maybe it is time to put some money in the stock market. Maybe I would like to consider a CD. Like how do they find somebody that can give them good advice? Um, you know, obviously A, without being ripped off, but B, somebody who's invested in them, even though they don't have a half a million dollars? Great question. So if they're employed, I would tell that person start with their workplace. So in my prior life, I actually worked for an organization that provided financial education to corporations, and it was at no cost to them. And I am finding that industry is exploding. So the first thing I would tell them to do, contact their EAP, 
Um, I've been shocked at how many offer either credit counseling, budget counseling, contact their HR, see if they actually have some type of financial wellness or education program. So that's the first line of defense and that's free. So start there. If that doesn't work and, and if this person has a pretty good handle on their finances and they're thinking about investing, the difference between 20 years ago and now is technology. I Some of these low-cost um, investment providers, their technology is so sophisticated. If they just they, I give them a questionnaire, they can help them get started on investing. So that could be an option as well. The next option is if they go to a local place of worship, a lot of times they will offer classes or courses to help people with their finances, or if they're near a place of worship, maybe start there. I've rarely found a place that did not have something, a local community center. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times they offer free classes on budgeting. Banks sometimes will have either free programs online or webinars to help people manage their money. Other institutions will sometimes have an investment advisor on hand that can help answer their questions to get them on the road. If they're looking for someone online, I tell them to vet very carefully. Yes. Make sure they have some level of credentialing. You at least want to know they cared enough to go to school to learn some stuff. It's funny I'm going to say this, but I am a certified financial planner. And as you probably know, I learned zero about money management. I can help the heck out of you if you have a million dollars plus of that worth. <laughs> but we, so everything I learned, I kind of learned from volunteering. And then when I started coaching for that financial education company, that's when I learned about how to serve people, middle income and money management. So don't assume because they have a bunch of letters behind their lanes like myself that we actually know about this. So start vetting, just start asking questions. One thing you said that I thought was very important, a lot of people feel like they don't know enough. And I'm like, you're smart enough to know the basic terms. And my industry is guilty of using $50 words to explain a five cent concept. If you don't (laughs) understand it, it's them, it's not you. But of any professional that you speak to, you should understand what they do, how they do it, who they serve, and exactly how they get paid. And it is not rocket science. Awesome. So we've kind of gone through the, the steps of, you know, catching up, savings, kind of planning for the future. Are there any other like pieces of advice that you would give to people who are waiting on a check or have a check in hand and just aren't sure what to do with the next step? Like, I'm sure they're 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 thinking about these things that you've told them, but like, is there, you know, it's burning a hole in their pocket. What would you recommend as kind of like your first step? Do you run and deposit it if you don't know what you're going to do yet? Like, what do you do if you're thinking about these things that we've been talking about, but you're not sure what to do first? What would you recommend? Nothing has to be done immediately. (laughs) So it is okay if the money just sits there while you think out a strategy. So it's okay, because I think sometimes people think they have to take immediate action. Yes. So deposit the money, take some time, think on it. And then one of the things we didn't talk about, treat yourself. I found one of the reasons why people spend everything, because they never give themselves a a portion to spend. If it's 5%, $100, whatever, take that portion and just blow it. I'm a really big believer in there has to be some level of self-care and you have to have a break. So take your family out, get some pizza, do something. But, but especially, um, so I grew up with a single mom, so I'm particularly sensitive to my single moms and they are the most sacrificial groups out there. 
take a portion and this money is not to be spent on kids. This money is not to be spent on other people. It is to be selfishly, completely wasted on something that you enjoy. And that enjoyment is worth the investment in yourself. I love that advice. And I and one of the reasons is because I've actually seen what happens when you starve yourself of the right to do the little things along the way, because what happens often, and I've seen this happen with my clients, is that when the big check does come, then if you've not taken the time or the money to go and get the pizza, then that's when you decide that you want to go to the Bahamas, even though you probably can't afford it because you feel like you've earned it because you haven't done anything for yourself in two years. And I have seen, I've seen this with inheritances a lot where people will struggle, 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 and then they'll blow their money in a year because they feel like they deserve it because they didn't take the time along the way to get the pizza and to do the things that made them feel like they were treating themselves. So it's kind of all stored up, right? And so they do it in one big go. And, and then I find that, that that's where the money goes. Yeah. Oh, we all do it. Just think about weight loss. Oh, yeah. You're, you're tracking, 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 discipline, discipline, discipline. You don't give yourself a treat day. And then someone has a birthday party and you just go stupid on the food. <laughs> <laughs> Same concept. You are right. only going to remain disciplined for so long. So if you give yourself permission, if you tell yourself it's okay, I am going to blow, and I mean blow, just something ridiculous, have fun with a small portion of the money. Now you give, first of all, you don't have the guilt attached. You put boundaries around it and you're far more likely to then take the rest of the money and use that money to meet some of your needs and future goals. And I have two more questions for you. One is, I want to hear about the grenade assault course <laughs> before you go, because I'm fascinated by this, because I can tell you right now that I couldn't do it. So why was that your favorite assignment? It was just awesome. So I'm ex-military. And I, I love helping people do what they didn't think they could do. Okay. So this was ROTC cadets. And as they were going through their training, they had to go through this grenade assault course. And what I loved about it was, this is in my much better shape days, I also had to demonstrate. So I had to physically go through this, I think it was like two to 400 meter assault course. Mm-hmm. And then I had to turn around and grade them. So one, I love the physical activity of going through the course myself. Two, and, and I'm short, I'm like two, and we had to scale a six foot wall. So I, so I would hear the women saying, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then when I did it, they're like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. So I love that flip. They can do something they thought they couldn't do. And just that sense of achievement. Like I just, I really, I got so much joy. I would just watch. And, and it was mild grenade. So if something went off, they really weren't going to get hurt. I want to mention that too. <laughs> I didn't think there was such a thing as mod grenades, but I can appreciate your wall story because I am also five two. So I, I totally get it. And then my, um, my uh, final question for you is that if people wanted to find you and you wanted to be found, how could they reach out to you either on social media or directly? So I, my volunteers would saverlife.com, but personally, I run a site called financiallythrivingmom.com. So I provide financial solutions specifically for working moms because I feel like the world leaves us out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they go to financiallythrivingmom.com. They will happily find me there. Wonderful. And I will put all those links also in the show notes. Thank you so much for um, being on the the show. I really appreciate it. I think this is a lot of... Uh, valuable information that we don't talk about because sometimes we only focus on the big dollars. So I think it's so important to talk about getting started because obviously, you know, Warren Buffett didn't become Warren Buffett overnight. So 
Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.